and welcome back to the pod class. Thank you, listener, for tuning in. We're going to take a break from the World Studies pod class. We'll still consider this school because these are things that I would talk about while I'm teaching. I'm teaching this stuff actually in American studies. So let's consider this an American studies pod class episode. It's Friday, September 25th. Brianna Taylor is in the news still. And it seems that the verdict is definitely not what I was expecting and not what a lot of people were expecting and demanding. And I can understand that. And there's a lot of frustration. And with that, and frust- and frankly, let me just, again, because I do this periodically, just get this out there. I am a white male. Not saying I feel the need to apologize for it by any means, or nor is it a bad thing, but I am acknowledging that I have no clue about the frustrations within the black community. I can't imagine how frustrating it is. Like, especially, you would just think that <laughs> things would change, man. Like, and, and again, like, perhaps this is like, I don't know if it's like because I'm white, like being hopeful, if like that's something like the black community is like, yeah, like you would think, but we've been thinking for how long? I don't know. And it doesn't make sense to me. And I woke up the next day or that morning and I saw, no, sorry, it was the next day. And like in Louisville, two cops were shot. And then it's like, oh, geez, where does this go? You know, like, conflict begins with an action, and the conflict has been going on for a very, very, very long time of essentially one side, we'll call it their action is oppressing another side. And the conflict, I guess, really arises when the other side responds. And let's say, like, the analogy I give with my students is, and this is the thing about sides. Like, I, I don't even like saying sides because this is not like a white, black. This is not all white people is at one side and all black people is another side. Right? This is an American issue. Love is, I find it to be the main issue. And, like, love on the system as well like love influencing how our system functions is not based on love but like this is the analogy i give with my students someone says something to you if you respond with something attacking them in retaliation justified as you are that person then feels justified to respond back and where do we go from there things either escalate or they die out The more severe your retaliation is, let's say, like I walk up to someone, I slap them in the face, they're more likely to then throw a punch at me. And then like we're fighting. You see it like all throughout history. There is a, when there is division, like to the point where it's like violent conflict, it's, it escalates, right? Rarely ever, like, unless it's, Like the Rodney King riots, that was like something that sparked violence. And again, I can't imagine 
Like it's difficult for me to say like, that's the wrong thing to do because like, I don't know what it's like to be a part of that community that has been shouting and screaming what it feels like it's screaming at a wall. And I'm not about to do a podcast episode where I am pointing at any community and telling people what to do. I don't think that's my job. I just want to point out behaviors, objectively think about it, and then consider like, what does this mean for my life, your life, and like the world around us? The complexity of social studies is you have an event that happens any, anything that happens. And then you immediately have people trying to make sense of what has happened. They are all biased as in they have like their own opinions about social things and political things that influences the way they understand what just happened. You have different perspective as in like, were you physically there? Did you hear this from someone? Did you hear that? Where did you hear it from? Because that person's biased, even if that person was there. Memory is a tricky thing. We make things up. We don't remember things correctly. So an event happens. And then with social media, it immediately just gets thrown into what feels like this divided thing where it's like, okay, you, I have to talk or understand this thing from blank perspective, the right or the left, black, white, when I like I try to tell my students like we need to understand something exactly for what it is then develop opinions. We I think need to be patient and empathetic and the center of all of our actions should be love with the mentality that there is no us and them in regards to like the American community, right? Like the Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And Mr. Rogers pretty much was pointing out that like your neighbor isn't literally just your next door neighbor. Like your neighbor is everyone. Everyone's your neighbor. We all want what we want health for our family. We want to experience personal fulfillment Ideally, and it doesn't feel like this is the case, like we, well, I think it is. We want our community to be okay. And we create division and draw lines of like where our community is. Like, oh, you are in my community, but you are not. So this whole concept of like love and everything, like an understanding and empathy that doesn't necessarily apply to you. So this podcast that I'm about to play dives into essentially empathy and how we are almost designed to create in and out groups and us and them and how that shifts your perspective on understanding things. And I think we need to be very aware that even someone that you don't agree with, someone that you might even dislike is still your neighbor. And we all, honestly, even just like as humans, but even as Americans, we most likely have a lot more in common than we have differences. And 
I think everyone needs to try a little bit harder to take time and find the similarities between us. Now, one last disclaimer. Disclaimer. Because again, I'm a white male, whatever, like all the ways you want to identify me and like, even that's it. Like, oh, well, you're saying this because you're white and therefore you're white and like discrediting what I'm saying. If you want to do that, that's fine. But I like, I will acknowledge that. Like, it's probably easier for me to say this, that like we need to find similarities over differences because I don't know what it's like to be black and to get the Breonna Taylor verdict. And then for someone to be like, well, we need to like kumbaya. That requires if like, if we're really going to be like the whole MLK nonviolent, whatever. And I'm not even calling for nonviolence. I'm not even saying like, I'm honestly, I'm not even saying I'm trying not to give opinions on about like, almost anything. All I'm saying is I find that we have a lot more in common than we have in difference. And that is something to consider. This is like a call to humanity, to the people in the United States. This is a call to white people, especially of Remove like if if your family member were being treated in the way that some people are being treated in our community, how would you feel about that? Because that's pretty much like your family, our family, our neighbors, things are happening to them. And then they're responding in a way that we would not like. Like if I were the family member of the police that were killed. What am I supposed to think of that? It's so incredibly complicated. But retaliation just leads to escalation, which leads to like nothing good. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to play the podcast. I really like I genuinely ask that you pay attention to this one. I mean, if you're listening at this point, I guess you're paying attention. I recorded this a while ago, and I think this is absolutely relevant for today. And in the end, everyone you see is your neighbor, and we should love our neighbors as ourselves. That's about it. I'll see you around. This is a podcast on Sonder. Hola, ladies and germs, and all who identify in between. It is I. It is me. It's that random voice in your ears. I'm Stevenson, and I'm back with another episode. Episode two of a three-part installment that I refer to as the big three. The first one was the butterfly effect and the greatest story in all the world. And if you haven't listened to it, I'd recommend you do. You don't really have to listen in order specifically. I'm going to start this one off with a nice poetic definition of a word that isn't technically a real word, I suppose. And if you like it, maybe you want to keep listening. If you don't, you can stop. The word is sonder. 
This word changed my life. A noun. The realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own, populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness. An epic story that continues invisibly around you like an anthill sprawling deep underground, with elaborate passageways that to thousands of other lives that you'll never know existed, in which you might appear only once as an extra sipping coffee in the background, as a blur of traffic passing on the highway, as a lighted window at dusk. Sonder. start off with a scenario and it can be customized so I want you to you don't have to close your eyes if you'd like to go for it I feel that being told to close my eyes and envision something never actually works it makes me uncomfortable and it's kind of lame if you're driving for sure please don't close your eyes if you want to close your eyes and you're not driving go for it but I want you to envision you're in your car in the car with you, riding shotgun, is your favorite person in all the world. So imagine that person. Okay? She's riding shotgun. He's riding shotgun. They're riding shotgun. Whatever. You listen to your favorite song, jamming out. And you're on your way to your favorite place. So just envision the road. Envision the person. Envision the song. Nice. Now, driving down the road on the oncoming lane, car passes by, two more cars pass by, you stop at a red light, some cars cross the street going the other way. All right, stop. Now, for all the cars that passed by, what did you see? We'll see, we'll assume car, whoever's in the car, blurred face, not that many details, not really important to you, right? Now, let's say that first car that went by you, when they were driving by, what did they see? For me, they would have seen, like if I were in the car, they would see a gold Subaru Forester, and then two people possibly yelling at each other, possibly singing, I'm not sure. And then they just drive on. So, again, this is an obvious thing, but think about this. When you were driving and a random car passes by, you just see like a blur of a face. You don't really pay much, pay much attention to the details, right? You are on your way. You're going to your favorite place. Like for Kendra and I, it might be like Blue Lake. Could be the platform. I don't know. That stuff means nothing to you, right? Now, the other car, they see you as just a random passerby. You are just a blur to them. You are a non-detailed person, and then they are going on their way, and you cease to exist to them. But you're like, hold up. 
but I'm me. Like I, my life is like it has a story to it, right? I've experienced love. I've experienced heartbreak. I came from Marlton, New Jersey, son of Do- Scott and Debbie Stevenson, brother to Justin Stevenson. All this stuff went to Cherokee High School. One state championship in soccer went to messiah college right all i have a story and yet to them i'm just a blurred face just going by one of hundreds of thousands of blurred faces and in the big scheme of things scheme of things one of seven billion plus right that's sonder when you realize that everyone that surrounds you is living a life as complex and vivid as your own life. Every single person, right, that you walk by, let's imagine like if you've walked in New York City and you're walking down and like how many people are around you? To them, like to you, they're just blurred faces. Like you don't pay much attention to the detail, right? Or envision like this is a classic scene in a movie, someone's walking down the street in New York and like you are focused, zeroed in on the person's face that this movie is about, right? I've for some reason and envisioning Liam Neeson, and like it's actually a happy movie, so he's not going to try to save his daughter. I don't know why, but Liam Neeson's walking, and everyone else's face is just kind of irrelevant to me. But if you think about it, like let's say if this is a love story movie, like you could. That movie could be done over however many times or how many people are on that street. That movie could be done over. And like, that's the person. Like, and you're focused on the person to the left of Liam Neeson or like right behind Liam Neeson. And now Liam Neeson's face is just a blur and you're focused on that person. So, theoretically, like every single person has their own story at that moment. Like, maybe it's a movie story. Every single person that you walk by is living life just as much as you are. So now we got to think about one, I suppose, what is life? Here we go. And then the next question is, do you actually believe that people are living a life as vividly, as complex and vividly as you are experiencing it? And then what are the implications of yes and what are the implications of no? We're going to get all the way into like the Rwandan genocide. We're going to talk about uh, history, of course. We're going to talk about, I mean, Nazis. We're going to talk about uh, social identity theory. We're going to talk about Eagles and Cowboys fans. So if you are actually somewhat entertained by what I'm saying, perhaps you'd like to continue to listen. I feel like periodically I just need to like check in. (laughs) But if you're listening, then (laughs) you're interested. So maybe, but I want you to think about this. Like, so Sonder is everyone around you. The realization that everyone around you is experiencing life as vividly and complex as your own. But then the question begs to ask is, well, what is my life then? Like, what is life? I want you to think about this. There's a movie Inception. Right. Uh, My boy, Leonardo DiCaprio, a couple other people, but Leonardo DiCaprio. And I'm not really going to give anything away, but it dives dives into into controlling your dreams, like lucid dreaming. 
right? And almost like dimensions of dreams. So a dream within a dream within a dream. And it gets pretty crazy, right? And like you're diving into the dream world and trying to in, implement ideas into someone's brain via their dreams. And he takes this girl who's an architect because she needs to design the architecture for dreams for him. And he takes her into a dream, right? And they're sitting at a cafe in what lo- almost looks like Spain or like Italy, I guess. And they're just talking. And he asks her, like, well, dreams, and he says to her, like, well, dreams, they feel real while you're in them. It's only when you re- real when you wake up, you realize something was actually strange. And then he asks her, like, well, how do we get here? How did you get here? And then she's like, well, we came from the, uh, and she, like, pauses. And he's like, think about this, like, where are you right now? And then she realizes, like, I, she, the dream starts and there isn't really a beginning to the dream. Like you just start in the dream and she's like, we're dreaming right now. And then she like looks around like this crazy dream where, and then like actually things start to fall apart because people in the dream. Yeah. It's complicated. The thing about this, like where, where are you right now? You don't realize you're dreaming until you wake up. And then realize, like, that was pretty strange. But, like, honestly, I'm not saying you're, like, in some dream right now. Like, this is real life. Where are you right now? Like, what are you currently experiencing? Like, let's just, let's imagine, like, you wake up. Like, what are you, what are you experiencing right now? Like, you were experiencing life. Do you ever even remember, and I'm assuming the answer is no, but, like, becoming conscious or aware? Like, what's your first memory? One of my first memories is just being in um, Queen Anne Court, one of my early earliest house, my first house that I lived in with my parents, right? So again, I'm like three, four, five. And then like, it's just kind of a blur. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, all right, here you go. You're, you're alive now, kid. Stand up straight, walk in line. Don't get out of line. Don't be too loud. Follow the line leader, go. And from then on, you've just been trucking and trucking and trucking. It's like doing life. Like you wake up every day, you just start going. You hop on the conveyor belt. You just keep going. You keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And here you are today. Like, But like, what are you experiencing? You run into people. You make friends. Those friends influence you. Your thoughts about the world change. You have good moments, you have bad moments. And you wake up every single day and you're experiencing life. So again, like again, just to think about. No one ever remembers becoming aware or conscious. All of a sudden we're alive. I say it in a song that I made. But it's true. Again, not to say that we're dreaming, but it's pretty bizarre. You are experiencing life. And if you really think about that, that's a pretty crazy statement. You are experiencing life. Now, the question is, according to Sander, well, not according to Sander, when you realize that everyone around you is also experiencing life, like complex life as in they have relationships, they have emotions, they have ambitions, They have dreams and aspirations. They go to bed and dream at night. 
they have like a favorite song, all that stuff. Like maybe a memory to the song. They have memories just as much as you do. That's borderline overwhelming. But before we get into that, you got to ask yourself, do you genuinely believe that? Do you believe that everyone around you is living life as vividly as your own? Or is it just your universe and everyone else is a character? And I'm not saying like Truman Show actor. Sorry for a spoiler. I mean, if you if you don't know by now, then sorry. But not to say like everyone's an actor, but quite literally everyone else is not real in the big scheme of things. They're not as real as you are. Like it is your universe. They cease to exist. Like let's say I'm chilling with a friend and then my friend goes hops in his car and like drives away and I go do my own thing. My friend says he's going to back to his house, but he kind of just ceases to exist. It's just my interpretation. It's my reality. It's my universe. Think about it like this. So my freshman year of college, I took a philosophy class. This is the nice thing about going to a liberal arts school. I took a philosophy class and the philosophy professor knew his stuff. He was not the greatest teacher, but he knew his stuff. And one of the first theories we learned about was the the brain and the vat theory. The vein and the bat. The brain and the vat theory. And it's essentially, now this might send you into an exponential crisis. Exist- <laughs> exponential. Exponentially existential crisis. Who knows? But the brain and the vat theory is, you can't, can you deny like scientifically or whatever, that when you were born, aliens harvested your brain. So they like took your brain out of your skull and they put it in this vat or like a jar. So it has like liquid in it and it's like sending electronic signals or pulses into your brain. And you are then seeing things like you're, it's, you're sending, it's sending in stimulations and you are seeing um, things. You're hearing things, you're smelling things, you're sensing things. Um, But those senses are not actually real. You're really just a brain in a vat. Because in the big scheme of things, what are, what is reality? Here we go. What is reality, right? Like I, I'm squeezing my chair cushion right now. Like I'm feeling, I'm seeing a red cushion. I'm feeling on my fingers, uh, like the feeling of the fabric and I'm squeezing it, right? And I'm hearing my own voice. And I'm seeing all these things and I can smell the, the tea that I made. But those are all really just electronic signals or pulses going through my brain. Now, I am hopeful that these things are all actually here. But like maybe I'm seeing all these things and I'm hearing all these things and I'm feeling these things. But really, it's just a brain in a jar, my brain in a jar. And it's, again, like the simulation. This is kind of, if you've seen The Matrix, at least the first one, like that's what that's, that's what that is, right? The Matrix is this made up simulation. And Neo is really just, or Mr. Anderson, was really just like some human in that like jelly pod 
that's not a spoiler. And he takes a pill, then he gets out of the jelly pot. Maybe that's real. And if that's the case, then everyone I run into isn't actually there. Because I'm not actually there. But everyone I run into is just a a simulated character that I'm sensing and I'm experiencing, but they're not actually there. And it's the universe. All of existence is just my interpretation of reality. And no one else is real. Oh boy. Oh boy. If that doesn't send you down spiraling, I'm not sure what will. And what really messes with you is like there's you can't like scientifically or with evidence like prove that wrong. And which is something that just blows my mind. It seems like uh I don't know if it's trendy now or what, but just like maybe we're just like in a simulation in like some kid's computer. <laughs> like oh but okay, yeah, maybe. But then people are like, oh, God's not real. <laughs> like both are incredibly bizarre out there statements, like a all knowing omniscient being created us or we're in a simulation in a computer, but like that's cool. Yeah, that's more likely. Life is weird, right? But you are experiencing it. And that goes back to that saying that was um, thought, I suppose, in the Renaissance. And it's, I think, therefore I am. And when I ask my students, I like, we, I teach them about the Renaissance. We like pull up all these, I pull up all these ideas from the Renaissance. We just talk about it. And the last one I pull up is, I think, therefore I am. I'm like, what do you think that means? Like kids are like, you can be anything you put your mind to. I just read Michael Jordan's biography and he didn't make the JV team or whatever it is. Like, okay, yes, that's very inspiring, but not quite. This is a little bit deeper. It's, I think, therefore I am. As in, how do I know anything actually exists? I knock my hand on some wood. How do I know that the wood is actually there? I don't. How do I know that I'm recording this podcast and I'm just speaking to whoever's listening. How do I know you're actually there? Like maybe I'm just speaking to no one right now and it's going to spiral and spiral and spiral into like maybe my body isn't real. The only thing you can really hold on to in the end is I suppose, and that's what this saying is, I think therefore I am. The only thing you can actually confirm is that there is like some form of consciousness. There's a voice in your head that when you see things, your voice like interprets that and like it makes opinions and um, thoughts. That is the only thing that you can really hold on to that you can confirm is real. So at least you know that maybe your body isn't real, but your mind is. Your consciousness, soul consciousness to whatever. And if we want to get into, like, well, your consciousness is just a bunch of electronic signals in the brain as well. Perhaps. Perhaps. But if that is true, then everyone is just a character. People aren't real, right? Like, so again, I like 
everyone is just placed in front of me and but they like they don't have any depth to them and like i'll ask them like oh where you come from like they make up this story they're like oh i'm from wyoming and they have all this backstory and then like i walk away and either and they just shut like they, they cease to exist everyone everything like news i see of israel and palestine like that's not really happening it's just to like maybe it's a simulation to like see like how would he, how would the human react a bunch of aliens watching me or the child on his i'm like in the sims that's the sims right there's a black mirror episode about it i forget which number but just watch the whole series and then you'll you'll see it but that's actually that's concerning but again i feel like i say that a lot but think about I say, oh, everyone's living of life is vividly and complex as your own. You're like, yeah, okay. But like, do you actually believe that? that? Maybe that's something you just never thought of. But like, go into, if you find yourself in a public place and walking around people you don't know. So like at the workplace, it's different because then you like form relationships with these people and you learn more about them. But go to a public place where a bunch of people are walking, like, have you ever just taken the time to think like, are these people real? What am I experiencing right now? I encourage you or challenge you the next time you're out, like just look at the faces of the people walking by you and just, I mean, in a non-creepy way, like look into their eyes and just think about that. Are you real? Are any of these people real? Will you, like, I'm going to walk by you, and will you, when I walk by you and you are no longer in my sight, will you go to the destination in which you seem to be going? Or when I look up in the sky and I see a plane, are there actually people in that plane? Is that, or is that plane just, it's a background in my universe? Are there people in that plane? That plane is going to land and those people are going to go home. When I walk by a building at night and the lights are on, but I don't look inside because I'm not a creep, are there people in there? I hope they're happy. I hope I hope that you would hope that for others. Like when you, I, I feel that way a lot. When I walk by people, I just think like, man, I hope they're happy. But that's a side thing. Um, So I have a few thoughts and we'll call them, I suppose, implications, but um, they're all kind of random, but maybe they'll come back and all um, form one solid conclusion about Sonder. But um, my friend Dave Perry, I don't know if I should be doing first and last names, but I just did. (laughs) My friend Dave Perry uh, he likes this guy named Michael Gunger. And in this podcast that Michael Gunger released, uh, he goes, this guy goes by like Vishnu something now. But um, Gunger was saying, like, imagine that your consciousness, so try to place where your consciousness is. Like, I feel like it's in the back of my brain, uh, like the essence of me, right? If you will. Imagine that your consciousness was in your thumbnail. 
So you perceived the world like the center and essence of you was in your thumbnail. Like you would, and he's saying like you would treat your thumb differently, like you'd protect your thumb, like all that stuff. But it made me think, and I think he was talking about this anyway, but if your consciousness is in your thumbnail, like you are more than just, obviously, you're more than just your thumbnail, right? You have a thumb, you have a hand, you have an arm, it's connected to a body, that is you, right? So you, the essence of you is this conscious being, um, some could say it's a soul, some would not say that. Some just say like your consciousness is electricity in the brain. And who knows, man. But you have the essence of you, right? And you have your physical body. And then a part of me wondered, like, I wonder if the whole thumbnail thing also applies where like the essence of me is not just limited to my physical body. And I know this sounds like super hippy dippy, but give me a give me a chance, man. Um Imagine this, right? I am walking with a friend, and so imagine you're walking with a friend, and you see this sculpture, and I am looking at the sculpture from the west side, and my friend is looking at the sculpture from the northern side, and I perceive, so I'm looking at this sculpture, and I perceive it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm trying to understand it, and this is my consciousness, that myself, right, me, my brain is trying to make sense of it. And so I can only see it from one side. And so I explain it. I'm like, oh, this is what this is. Like, this is what I'm seeing. But my friend who's looking at it from a different perspective, he's like, oh, well, also there's this and starts to add on to it, right? It's my consciousness is, um, we'll say bleeding out and entering into his consciousness. The way we're doing that is communication, which is a pretty bizarre thing, right? You have these thoughts and these ideas and you find a way. What What is communication? Communication is essentially it's me um, taking an idea in my head and putting it in your head or it's extracting an idea from your head and understanding it. So I'm looking at the sculpture with my friend and I'm communicating what I'm seeing but he is communicating what he's seeing. And now I have a better understanding or a different or a fuller understanding of what this sculpture is. And that is because there is another conscious being that's looking at this sculpture and communicating to me. So it's almost as if I am physically like my eyes are his eyes and he is looking at it and communicating to me. And now I'm seeing it through him. And again, if you think about it, that's like an extension of my consciousness or my essence. I have extended out of the physical boundary of myself. I think of it like a Venn diagram. Like I have my own essence, conscious being self. He has his, but there's a spot in the middle. It's the space in between where we're sharing consciousness. It's like if you're listening to music with people, if you're at a concert, we are all connected to something. Now it's like, this is even beyond, and this is crazy, beyond a three-way Venn diagram. It's going to go to however many people are there, but there is a space, there is a shared, connected, almost singular thing in itself. And it's whatever we are together connected to. It's like this higher, I don't want to say higher, but like a 
more unified essence. And I could have ranted right there and you could be like, that was dumb. Or maybe that made sense. Because that's been something I've been thinking about. If you know me, as my students know me, you know that I despise ants. I think they represent the absence of humanity and like love and art and beauty and all that. They are what we could be if we weren't. I mean, we could be more like ants because ants are very effective and efficient. And that's why I'm not afraid of them. I'm skeptical of them. I despise them because they're so efficient. And it's very much if you are not a part of what the greater group is going for, you are dead to the ants. There's no time for an ant to like sit back and be like, I think I'm going to paint today because I want to. It's like, no, you are, we're going to cut leaves. Ants function as a single organism. There's amongst all of the, and I know, I'm sure there's a word for it, but like a, you have a colony of ants, a hill, and then you have a line of ants going out to something and then coming back. And I've observed this in my scientific study of ants, you have like when ants are coming towards each other in the line, like you've one way and the other way, when they cross each other's paths, they like touch antennas. And I don't know for sure, but I definitely know for sure based on my gut feeling, there's a message from the inside of the colony. And then there's a message from those who went out and are coming back in and they are all on the same wavelength. And it's like the line of ants going out is a limb. And then like there's like fingers and they're grabbing things and coming back. It's almost like cells in your body, right? It's function. They are collectively functioning as one thing. And while that's awesome and it's uh, kind of anti-Western because Western philosophy is very much like the individual. So there's individualism or collectivism. And um, we are very much of the mindset that like you have your individual uh, human rights and the individual right is equally as important as the collective whole. So, and then like in more Eastern societies, like uh, filial piety, it's like you, you, um, subdue your own personal interest for the greater good of the community. But that all to say that maybe we are similar to the ants, um, but we don't, we in the West don't like to think that, right? We like to think that we're our own individuals, but like maybe we are all collectively part of a larger consciousness. And there is something that prevents that consciousness from taking place. Um, I would argue that that's a lack of empathy, but I'll get into that in a second as to like what that means and how do we do it and why do we not do it. But uh, there is a line from a Grateful Dead song. So if you thought it was hippy dippy then, then you definitely might think it's hippy dippy now. But it's wake up to find out that you are the eyes of the world. And the song's called Eyes of the World. But I thought about that and I was like, wow, that's actually like, I've been listening to that song since I was a kid. And all of a sudden that line made sense to me. Like we are nature. Like we are a part of the world. We are, um, just that we're animals. Right. And, but we are, as Gunger said in his podcast, like awareness, becoming aware of itself. We are collectively conscious beings who are able to look at things and 
communicate about it and I am able to uh, have my consciousness be communicated into your consciousness and we can have that space in between in the Venn diagram where we share something, right? And we are the eyes of the world. We are a way for the world to see itself and talk about itself and think about itself. And now it's getting even crazier with the internet. Um, I, a while back, was watching the ESPYs with my boy Jaybird, shout out, and like I felt that as I was watching, there was like a Black Mirror episode about this where it's like the, based on the social points, but I felt like as I was watching, like all these celebrities and athletes were doing their 30 second spiel and like Tracy Morgan was hosting it. I felt like if they were, did well, they'd get like plus five points in my brain. I'm like, mm, nice. And then they like move up by five points. And if they did poorly, they'd like get negative 10 points, whatever. Um, but I felt that Tracy Morgan wasn't doing so well. And so I just, I rarely do, but I checked Twitter and Twitter was talking about Tracy Morgan, right? So that's like, think of the sculpture example. That's me and a friend who are physically next to each other talking about it. But now we have this uh, sphere or this world where like we are even more so connected. Our consciousness is connected. I can see an idea from some 12-year-old kid in Wyoming who's calling Tracy Morgan a noob or I can see the thoughts and ideas of people in Malaysia, I don't know why Malaysia popped into my head. But like, that's pretty wild. It's like, I mean, who knows, man? It's at some point, if we get so quickly connected, I guess that's kind of like what the singularity is. That like, it, we won't even need to communicate with like words. It'll just like your thoughts will pop into my head and my thoughts will pop into your head. Well, like it's telecommunication. I believe that's the word. That would be crazy. But why, what prevents that singular consciousness between you and I or between all humans? Because in the end, like we, we're all just humans that are experiencing life similarly. Um, and the word is empathy or a lack thereof. And if you don't know what empathy is, I would argue one of the reasons for social studies in the public school setting is, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but one is to develop empathy. And that's like an argument for history that I find. Empathy is your ability to put yourself in the shoes of someone else, to feel what they are feeling, to think what they're thinking, to see what they see. Um, and like, I can't quite literally like put my hand on your shoulder and feel what you're feeling, but I can empathize with you and I can try to imagine what that would feel like. There are some instances, which I'm going to mention, where it's impossible for me to empathize. And that would be like a victim in the Holocaust. Right. But part of the fun of history is you can empathize with people that are around you today, or you can empathize with people that are dead and existed 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, however long ago you want to go back. Right. Like, um, put yourself, so let's go now, today. Put yourself in the shoes of there is a tribal group in the Amazon rainforest that it's called a rite of passage. And in order to become a man, uh, like as seen as a male warrior adult in this tribal group, 
the boy uh, has to take a mitten that is filled with what are called bullet ants, and a sting of a bullet ant is, I believe the number is 30 times worse than the sting of a bee, and there's probably at least 50 bullet ants in each mitten and glove, and they have to put their hands in there and get stung by those things for, I believe it's like 10 minutes, and they have to do that 20 times. Now, for me as an American, that seems pretty bonkers, and I would be like, no, I'm good. I don't need to do that. All I need to do is turn 18 in 21st century America. I need to survive 18 years, and I'm an adult, and I did it. I don't need to do that, but put yourself in their shoes. Why do they do it? Right. This is an example of another example of human. I like to think of it like it's another example of me, like what I could have been as in I was born in the time and place I'm born to. I'm born in the body that I'm in. I was given the name Sean. Right. This is the way as we'll get into the next podcast. But there's a one in seven billion chance that I'm who I am, but I could have been someone living in that tribal group. And like, how would they feel about that experience? Like, why do they do it? And I think a lot of people in our culture will look at that and be like, that's that's like uh, terrible what they're doing to those young boys. But like, if you ask the boys, they're excited to do it. Like, it's a sense of pride for them. Like, what would that be like? Why do they do it? And I can't view it as like a 21st century American living in Pennsylvania as a white middle class privileged male. I'm so terrible. So privileged. I have to try to imagine what it'd be like for them. That's empathy. And it's difficult, right? Like, I mean, sometimes it's easy. I can empathize with what it might be like to be Canadian, just cold fingers and toes. And I like hockey and I've totally generalized an entire nation of people. I, can I empathize with a jihadist in Syria fighting for ISIS? Now, I don't sympathize with this person, but according to Sonder, this person is living life just as, vi- just as vividly as I am. And while I do not agree with what that person's doing, that's another example of me or what I could have been if I were born into that time and place. So I need to empathize with that person. I don't need to agree with what they're doing, but I should try to empathize. Because that person is living a very vivid and complex life, just as much as I am. And that person feels justified in their behaviors, just as I feel justified in how I feel about things. So there are so many different types of people. And there are many, many reasons as to why we can't find that space in between the Venn diagram amongst me and a jihadist or a jihadi in Syria. Now let's go like historically. This is why history is fun in my opinion. Like I imagine pick like the Aztecs. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with what the Aztecs are, if you might be familiar with people who had like crazy feather crown hats and like Native Americans in Mexico prior to the Europeans showing up. Okay. And these are ones who practice human sacrifice. Let's empathize with that experience for a moment in a couple ways. They would, they had these like, it's more like squared stared off pyramids, not like, like 
a flat surface like the Egyptian pyramids. And in some areas, they would sometimes capture people. Sometimes it would be volunteers. They would take this person, lay them on their back, and then take a very sharp rock or stone of some sort, slam it into the person's chest cavity, rip open their chest, and pull out their heart and sacrifice it. Why? Why would you do that? Multiple reasons. But let's just empathize. Like, If you believe in Sonder, which we're going to make from here on out, let's just assume Sonder's legit and people have it are actually alive. That literally happened then, which is crazy. Like someone, the end of someone's life was literally on top of a pyramid with some guy with some crazy feathered crown hat thing, shoved a stone in their chest and ripped their heart out. While hundreds, perhaps thousands of people are like screaming and worshiping and happy about it. Like, let's think about what is going on in that person's head because that literally happened and that literally could have been you, but it isn't for some reason. It's not. You're in 21st century wherever listening to some random guy that you might not have ever met talking, but someone not in control of the time or place they're born into, the end of their life was a man doing that to them. Like, what must that have been like? That's crazy. And then, let's empathize with the dude that had the stone in his hand, and he's about to do it, and he's thinking to himself, this is a really good idea, and then just shoves that stone right into the dude's chest and rips his heart out. He is probably in like this religious euphoric just like crazy experience because they were doing it for religious reasons a lot of times when you sacrifice you're doing it so you'll get a good harvest or whatever else and they genuinely believe that i would assume most people listening to this probably don't think that if you sacrifice someone you're going to get a good harvest but that's because you're born a different time and place these people did empathize with that empathize with the dude that shoved a stone into someone else's chest or all the people that are sitting around the pyramid screaming their faces off also worshiping and having a good time as that happened that literally happened that is an example that is you you are the person laying there you're the person with the stone you are the person in the crowd it is an another example of what is possible for the human experience. Another example, Nazi Germany. There is a picture, it's a black and white picture, but it's a people uh, kneeling in front of a ditch and there's a firing squad behind them and it's like the last moments of these people's lives. I can't possibly imagine what that would be like, right? I can't empathize. Um... I don't know what that would be like, but I can at least try, right? And I can, like, just the helplessness that you must feel that, like, government representatives are sitting behind you with guns, and you're just kneeling in front of a ditch of dead people, most likely people you knew, like, there are people in your town, and, like, that's, these are the last moments of your life, and that literally happened to people. You, you have to think... So again, try to empathize. Like, I wonder what that must have been like. Like, is there a sense of peace? As in, like, it is what it is? Or is, like, there's just this frantic fear? 
and like the moments before the guns go off. That was literally how someone died. Put yourself in that, like, imagine, close, if, you know, literally have to close your eyes, but you're kneeling in front of a ditch with soldiers behind you with guns. What would that feel like? And then put yourself in the shoes of a soldier pointing the gun at the person kneeling there. What's going on in that person's head? And you can judge them all you want and be like, what a terrible thing to do. And it is, it's wrong. It is wrong to do that. But like, why is that person, that person must not be in tune with this whole Sandra theory. Maybe they, I don't know, maybe they could have improved their empathy. Well, maybe they could improve their empathy. (laughs) But like, if you're doing that to someone, if you have a gun pointed to their, them and you hate them, you despise them because they're, what, Jewish, homosexual, political prisoner, whatever else, you aren't thinking about, like, that person is alive. That person to you is a rat. And that, like, if you look at a lot of Nazi propaganda, that's what, how they played it up. Like, these people are rats and they're a disease. There's a disconnect between you and that person. You're not viewing them as human. There's a lack of empathy, but we should look at this and think like, what's going on in that person? And again, like I said, you can judge them for what they did is wrong. And it is, but don't think you're holier than thou. And like that, you would never do it because that Nazi is another example of you and what you could have been. Why? Because you are human. And if Nazis did it, that means humans are capable of doing it somewhere within you somewhere within all of us is that empathize with that what prevents us from empathizing or like connecting with others uh shout out to pink floyd i'm going to do another shout there's going to be another shout out in the moment the song time but this song that i'm going to be referring to now is us and them we as humans, and we do, it's inevitable that we do this, uh, but there is a us, so you say we, and then you say they. And what is the distinction? Right? As in, Saunders says, everyone's alive, everyone's living incredibly vivid and complex lives. And then you have a we group, or the in group, and then you have an out group. And it's the social identity theory part of it. Kendra, my wife, showed me this, so she's probably going to be shaking her head because I apply it way more often than I probably should. But the social identity theory is that you identify with a group of people. So it could be like Eagles fans, it could be white, Republican, Democrat, whatever else, right? And you build up that group, American, you build up that group to make yourself feel better and to improve the status and likelihood of survival of your group. And one way to do that is you put down out groups. So groups that you were not a part of, you look down at them to build up your own status and to one, I guess, make yourself feel better. Um, What does that look like? Well, let's look at two analogies. You got Eagles and Cowboys fans, and then you got the Rwandan genocide. Let's start with, let's just do the Rwandan genocide. So Rwanda is in Central Africa, kind of like South Central Africa, and it was colonized by uh, the Belgians and the Germans. And at a time when this whole social Darwinian theory was relevant, where a lot of Caucasian Europeans, excuse me, 
felt that Africans were subhuman, as in like less than human. So that's like anti-Sonder pretty much. And they went into Africa and just completely sucked it dry of its potential for development for its resources. Um, And one of the strategies that the Germans used was in Rwanda, you have these two, uh, we'll call them like ethnic groups, although there's like barely any biological differences. It's more so like just the lineage of like where they come from. In Rwanda, you have the Hutu and the Tutsi. And the Hutu are the dominant majority of people. So that's the, they, there are more Hutu than Tutsi. Um, the Tutsi, what made you a Tutsi back in the day was like if you owned cattle and again, you came from a specific group. What the Germans did was in order to better control Rwanda, they turned, they started to promote the Tutsi and like gave them um, more powerful positions um, and just improve the status of the Tutsi and allowed for the Tutsi to rule over the Hutu as long as the Tutsi were loyal to the Germans. And the Belgians also did this. Um, and so they would like tell the Tutsi, like, you are smarter, you're obviously like more athletic, you are better humans than the Hutu. And what do the Tutsi start to believe? That they are better, right? And so they, if you get, it's like that Stanford uh, prison experiment. Like if you give someone power, they're going to exploit it and take advantage of it. The Tutsi start to do that. And you're going to have, we're going to have the Germans leave right at the end of the colonial period in Africa. And then you have the Hutu who have been essentially oppressed by this Tutsi group. They are, because they're the majority, they're then going to get power. Um, And for a while, you're going to have like this propaganda spread that the Hutu are trying to destroy the Tutsi, right? There's a, that turns into a history of like them fighting with each other. And then at one point, a plane crashes that had the um, Hutu leader and that is sparks the, or gives the green light the government gives all Hutu people the green light to grab a machete and slaughter as many Tutsi as they can possibly find. What's up with that? And it happens. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to be slaughtered by machetes. One group of people grab machetes and would go out and like hunting. So they'd meet up in the morning just all the people in the village, all the Hutu and they would run around and then you they knew who's a Tutsi and who's a Hutu. Right, so they would find the Tutsi and they would just slaughter them. Like the government gave the green light to slaughter and remove the Tutsi from the world. There is zero, almost zero actual difference between the Tutsi and the Hutu. Minimal biological difference. You could, and like maybe if they were so good, like they're so familiar with it, you could line up. 20 of them, and it would be very difficult to point out a Tutsi or a Hutu. Like, they just gave themselves these labels, right? And what the Germans did was they would promote one group over the other to promote loyalty for them, and they would also, like, they turn on each other. And they they create this distinction between the Tutsi and the Hutu. And the Tutsi and the Hutu then take that and they roll the snowball down the hill and then it turns into this crazy difference between them. Like an undeniable difference. It would be as if, this is the analogy I tell my students. Imagine if I was your kindergarten teacher and you had me all the way up to when you graduated high school. And I mean, someone kind of did this experiment. Um, 
mine would be a little different. But in kindergarten, I walk around and I have green circles and I have red squares. And if there's 25 kids, I have five green circles and then I have 20 red squares. And I would, I hand them out randomly. Like I just walk around, I hand you something. There is zero reasoning behind me handing these things out. And the green circles, I would promote. I'd give them the better grade. When they get an answer correct, I would be like, wow, like that is such a classic greenie. Like greenies are just so smart. And when the reds would do something wrong, I would like point out to the greenies, like, do you see how these redders are? Oh my gosh, like classic redders. The difference between a greenie and a redder is nothing. I, as the manipulator, create this distinction. And naturally, what do we as humans do? The greenies start to believe it. The redders resent that. They even might start to believe that they're stupid. Some teacher did this experiment with like brown eyes and blue eyes for like elementary kids. Imagine if that distinction, like for from kindergarten to when you graduate high school, like that distinction is there. While in kindergarten, it was not real. By the time these kids reach graduating high school, there is a difference between these people. And what is the root or the base of this difference? It's something that we made up in our heads. Or they made up in their heads. I like I made it up, whatever. How does that apply to real life? Let's imagine, like I said, Cowboys fans and Eagles fans. I am an Eagles fan. I have my Eagles sweatshirt on right now. When I walk down the street and I see someone with the cowboy star, I immediately make assumptions about that person. Why? Because I like being an Eagles fan and it makes me unite better with other Eagles fans and it makes me feel better as an Eagles fan to look at Cowboys fans and say, they're a front runner, they don't know anything about football, whatever else you want to say about it. You could just go off as an Eagles fan, right? I see that person and there's a star on their hat and in my mind, they're not us. That person is a them. And they are. there's a distinction between us. How many... And like it gets to a point enough where like you go to games and like you're sitting in sections and it's fun. Like when you're sitting around all other Eagles fans, we are united, right? Or when you're watching with a bunch of Eagles fans, like you're united. And then it's like you see a Cowboys fan. I mean, Eagles fans can be ruthless. Like they'll throw beer on them, whatever else. Like it makes the Eagles fans more united. So it's just what we do as humans. It's kind of inevitable. But like, let's think about how much we do this in more than just the Eagles fans. So like, think about what are all the characteristics in which you identify yourself or like that are a part of your identity. You could do like political affiliation, religion, sexual orientation, skin color, the type of music you're interested in, language, the country you're from, the state you're from. Let's think like, so, and then what we do is the more that someone is related to the characteristics that you have, that how you identify, the more likely you are to connect. And like that is natural and that is a good thing. Like it's a good thing to be connected with people. But how many of these things are just like made up differences where all of a sudden we distinguish like, no, that's the them group. You are less likely to empathize with them or sympathize with them or connect to them. You view them less as that's just a living person and it is the outside group. Like, let's think of like 
borders. And I'm not about to get in a rant of like, we should just get rid of all borders. Because like some of my students get into that. I'm like, well, there's probably a lot of details you're not thinking about. But like, ha- look at, fl- like, you have natural borders and you have borders that are man-made. Like the border between Canada and the United States above like Minnesota. That's just a flat line. A bunch of people just got together and just picked a line of latitude and like, here it is, and just drew the line. And if you are on one side of the line, you are Canadian, you sing a different national anthem, you pay different taxes, you are Canadian. And if you're south of the line, you're an American. And it impacts your life. That distinction of like, I'm an American, I'm a Canadian. You go to a game, there is a distinction between these these two people. And like for ice hockey, let's say. How far down are we going to go where we're like breaking possible connections between us and other humans? Like I'm an American. I'm on the East Coast. Screw the West Coast. They're a bunch of, they're just lazy. I'm from New Jersey. I'm from South Jersey. Screw North Jersey. And if you're from New Jersey, you know what I'm saying. I'm from Marlton. Screw Medford. Screw Shawnee High School. I live in Kings Grant. KG, we were the KG boys. I live in Yarmouth Circle, Piccadilly Circle, my house, my bedroom. It's just me. It's me and then everyone else and everyone else is them. Like, at what point do we draw the line and like create that distinction between us and other people? And how much of it is just man-made or is made up in our heads? Obviously not to the extent of like the Hutu and the Tutsi. And like, we're not about to slaughter each other. But like, when you are walking around in the streets, like, how do you feel about the people around you? Are they your brother? Are they your neighbor? Like Mr. Rogers? I I tried to listen to a podcast about him, but it didn't seem super interesting. But like, there's now this like trend of getting back into Mr. Rogers, it seems. But like, are the people around you your neighbors? Do you feel that way about them? Because if you are, let's say... Driving down the highway, if you're driving and you know the people that are on the road, are you, and like you might do it jokingly, but like, are you going to cut someone off and flip them off and curse them out if you know them? No. Why do you do that? I would, hopefully you don't do that because road rage is real and you never know if that person's having a bad day, but people do that to other people because they don't know who they are and they feel like they're never going to see them again. Them. It's not us. It's not a part of my group. I don't know who you are. I'm much more willing to cut you off. There is a distinction between like you and that person. And you're unable or less able to empathize and you're not viewing that person as like a living human being. It's just a character in your life that like is an inconvenience to you and you need to cut them out. So, like, the, again, the question is, how many distinctions do we have, do you have, with other people where you view them as them? And how much of the distinctions are just made up in our head? Like, I'm sure if people were to chill out between this whole Democrat and Republican thing and, like, actually try to have a conversation, you would find probably a lot more, most people are more similar than different. There's just these little differences. And yet, especially on like Facebook and whatever else, we're unable to 
like the liberals and the conservatives, the bigots and the snowflakes have like created this distinction between them. Why aren't we viewing like when you're viewing someone as a liberal or a conservative over like just a fellow American? Think about that. You have made this fake distinction where it is us and them and that's dividing a group that should be gathered together. Americans. Whites and blacks. One of the inch, like one of the dimensions and variables between whites and blacks is there is a deep history of one group oppressing and dominating another group and like that cannot be ignored at all. But in order for progress, and again, I say this as a white person who has not been oppressed by another group. So let's just a privilege check myself. I think of what Martin Luther King said in the speech that I have a dream speech. And it was, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Like how much are we all collectively, and again, white people have a terrible history of doing this. Like that's what racism is. I see someone walking down the street and again, I'm, I don't do this. That's another thing as a white person, I feel like I have to do is say like, by the way, I'm not racist. It's what like all white people say see a black person walking down the street and then like what thoughts are entering into your mind you're making assumptions about them and are you creating a distinction we're like oh they like african-americans they right you see them and then like do you feel united between them between whites and blacks like is there unity and i feel like ideally my generation like younger generations it's a lot less of a big deal right between whites and blacks and like all other groups and like i think that's awesome but like older generations there was it like a this mental distinction and what martin luther king was saying like you shouldn't judge someone based on the color of their skin but by the content of their character is that person a good person so when you and i when you see someone else and i see a person wearing a dallas cowboys hat or I see an African-American, we should be working towards viewing that person as like, that is a complex human being. And while there is a difference between me and that person, how much of it is just made up in my head and how much, like how much similarity is there between that person and myself? There's probably a lot more similarities and differences. And again, as MLK said, judge the person on the content of their character not the blank, not their political preference or political affiliation, their sexual preference, not the color of their skin or the nationality they're from, not their religion. Right? Sonder is viewing every single person as a complex human and it's trying to get away from the us and them and it, we're all humans. Just a very obvious statement. I ask my students, uh, and we can, I'll wrap up with this because this is a long podcast, it seems. I think of, I ask my students, should we identify ourselves first as citizens of the United States or citizens of the world? 
as in not, and it's not literally like well technically you do street town state country so in theory it's country no it's like i identify like i am sean stevenson i am an american or i'm sean stevenson i'm a human and like i have fellow americans and then so there's like america and then there's mexico are those people my neighbor are we the same or do i create the distinction like okay but they live across this border that some is natural and some is man-made but how do i view them are they them or are they us is it we and what are the implications of both you need to take care of yourself before you help others right so like the whole let's just get rid of borders and we're all like humans like yeah okay but (laughs) we need to have some form of order right and like if we're just gonna like if think about like this is a child starving in Africa, is that just as much as your problem as it is the people in Africa's problem? Or is it like something that they need to figure out and like the United States, we need to figure out our own thing? Like as rough as it is that it, that exists, the United States has to figure out their own stuff. Like we need to, we can't just spread ourselves so thin to focus on other people. I'm not saying there's a right answer. But that's something to think about. Like, how do you identify? Is the problems in Africa or in the Middle East or anywhere in the world, around the world, is it also your problem or is it their problem? Because they speak a different language, they're different skin color, they have they a different flag, they're a different nation, whatever else. All the distinctions you want to make up in your head. There are positives and negatives to both, but. I feel we make up far more distinctions of differences in our heads when in the end there are, we are most humans are probably far more alike than we are different and if we just take time to view each other as human beings that are living a complex life and try to empathize with them and say you were different and I don't believe some of the things you do now, like if it were talking about a jihadist that's trying to blow me up because I'm an infidel, I'm foolish. If I'm going to try to take the time to like pull him aside and like, let's drink tea together. But we, we're all humans and yet we create a distinction based off of what skin color. Now, again, with that being said, like with the skin color, like you can't, just ignore the history of what groups have done to each other. Like Israel and Palestine, there is a deep root of hatred and actions mutually against each other. That is incredibly difficult to justify and just like look over, like look past and like, Oh, we're just going to be friends now. Like, well, actually you killed my grandparents, (laughs) right? So we all like humans have very complex history. But I get a personal thing when you're walking. Let's let's start in America, your neighborhood. When you're walking in your neighborhood and you see these people, are they them or are they us? Are they your neighbor? What are the similarities between you and other people? Not just the differences. Because the moment that we start to make distinctions amongst ourselves 
like I, I said to a friend, like just like Rome wasn't built in a day, the Rwandan genocide didn't happen in a day. That takes a long time of creating that distinction where you are then able and willing to run around with a machete and slaughter men, women, and children because they are a Tutsi and you're a Hutu. Sometimes I wonder if aliens are watching us or just like, gosh, humans are so stupid. How we do this to each other. I have one more analogy. I'll make it quick and then I got to wrap up. I guess I don't have to wrap up. I can do whatever I want. But I think of it like a spider web. Imagine a spider web and there are two ways of looking at it. One is you are the center of the web and every thread that spreads out is all connected and all comes back to you. Everything leads to you. You are the center of the universe. Everyone around you is just a character in your plot. They are pawns in your game and it's your universe. So imagine you have a water bottle and yes, I say water, not water. I'm from the Philly area. You take the water bottle, you drink the water and then when you're done with it, you just toss it and just leave it on the ground. If you are the center of the web and that's reality for you, once you leave that water bottle and it's like out of sight, it's out of mind and that water bottle ceases to exist. Everything is connected to you. So like the things going on in Israel and Palestine, you might not even think that's actually going on. That's all just like, okay, well, how's that impacting me? Am I able to like travel today? Could I go to Israel on vacation? Right? You're just thinking about that. Or the other option is you are not the center of the web. You are just a point in the web and who knows where you are, how close you are to the center, but you are connected to, in theory, everything else on the web but your actions impact the center, which is bigger than you. And I don't know what the center is. I don't know if there's like a name for it. Humanity, history, reality, who knows? But you, your actions impact the center of the web. When you throw, when you toss the water bottle, the empty water bottle, and you walk away, someone else has to pick that water bottle up. Even though for you, it ceases to exist. Like someone is then going to pick it up. Or we're all just going to throw our water bottles on the ground and then just going to make a pile of individual actions that leads to this huge pile of plastic. When you cut someone off and flip them off, which again, hopefully you do not do, what it, that then impacts that person and they are then going to maybe yell at their kid later because they're angry or they're not going to hold the door open for someone. Your actions are impacting other things around the web and it's leading to the center, which is, again, bigger than you. You're not the center of the universe. The sun doesn't revolve around you. You are just a plot and you're amongst something. You are a part of something much bigger than you. You are special, yes, but so are the other 7 billion people. Everyone is individually special and important. It's not your world. And if that's the case, then when there is a starving child in Africa or there's genocide in Yemen or in Syria, is that your problem? 
when you see pictures of things happening, are you actually, are you living as if you believe in Sonder or you agree with Sonder that those people are real? Do your actions represent that? Do you hold the door open for people? Are you trying to be friendly to people because you want people to be friendly to you, right? It's like what Jesus Christ said. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Again, Sonder is the realization that everyone around you is living a life that's vivid and complex just as much as you are. And I think we all like to pretend as if we agree with that, but are, are our actions really reflecting that? When you look someone in the eyes and you smile at them, is that person real? And if that person is real, why would you want to be mean to them? Because like I said, I think we're all more similar than we are different. I think in the end, like everyone just wants to be happy and we all want to laugh and we all want to experience love. Our language might be different. Our religions might be different, but in the end, like everyone just wants to be happy. And I think that similarity is, should be all differences, obviously, to the best of our abilities. And understand that if someone is different from you, that is just another example of what you could have been, like what you could be. And empathize with that person. Sonder. Peace.